Welcome in, one and all. Thanks for joining us. This is All Pro Lines, the podcast. I am your host, Kostaki Economopoulos. I will be joined today by one of my early heroes, Jeff Cesario. Very funny guy. Will come and talk to us about lots of things. We'll, we'll leave, I'm not even sure where we're going to go, but I have I have so many questions for Jeff. We might have to squeeze down the other segments because I want to talk to Jeff so badly. Um, and we got week three in the NFL. What a great, crazy, bumpy... How about those Cowboys? <laughs> we have plenty to discuss there as well. Uh, Travis Kelsey and his doings. Uh, yeah, we, we have a lot to cover. Uh, I just got back from a dry bar taping. So quick personal note for me. Uh, seven weeks ago, I heard I was going to do a dry bar taping. My second one. I, I finished the weekend of running around with my friends in Colorado and my brother in Atlanta. And then I stopped drinking. I was like, I'm bloated. I got to lose a few pounds. I got to get my head clear. I didn't drink almost completely for seven weeks. And it's weird how much you think about a taping, you, all the content and all the segues and all the stuff and all the poise and all the practice and getting the words. It's, I don't mean this to be whiny. I just want you guys to know part of the process. Like there's a lot to it. You, you got to put the set together in a way that makes sense for the thing that you're doing. And then you've got to do it that way many, many, many times. So that the words are natural so that when you're nervous and the bright, hot white lights are on, it's still natural to you. And when you do something like dry bar, it's extra challenging because there's, you can't say Jesus you know, like you got to, it's teenage Mormon clean. It's a whole nother level of clean that they want it to be. And so I thought about it and sweat about it and worried about it and prepped for it and practiced and watched tapes of myself and time things and was running it at the beginning of sets. And I, I did two, two shows, uh, in Provo. I, you know, Thursday I did a warm up show. I didn't make any money. I probably lost money. I went to Al Albuquerque to do a warm up show, but it was important to kind of get that set in my mouth and get it out one last time shortly before the taping. Friday I went to Provo. I went and watched the taping on Friday so I could get the feel for all the beats and I hung out and chatted with the comics and watched the show and understood how the warm up guy works and the process with the makeup and the thing and the go. And, the, you know, I just wanted to get my feet wet. And uh, so two tapings, they went well. The the crowds are tight. And first of all, they're, you know, they're, they're Mormons. And it's not really a comedy club. It's a taping situation. And they're lit. They're not in the dark. You want, you want crowds in the dark, generally, uh, so they can be comfortable and just be themselves. Uh, but it's a taping situation. So everything's a little bit askew from your normal, gritty comedy environment. Uh, but I kept my head straight. I did the sets. I did well, particularly on the second one. I was I was better. The crowd was better. I had more poise, a little more playfulness, and the words were a little more quick to my lips. And so I think we got a good one in the can. And then I went and drank some beer and ate pistachios. And I don't know. It's a crazy process, you know. But just to think about all the things and the, you know, I literally like get got my crest white strips and. Worried about what I was gonna wear. It's a crazy mindfuck, the whole thing. So anyway, I did it. It's done. Happy it's there, and hopefully it'll be uh, it'll look good on camera and uh, on video, and it'll be out for you to see uh, in several months. Is what I think the time window is. So I'll let you guys know on the socials. By the way, follow us on the socials, Kostaki Economopolis and at Pro, All Pro Lines, whatever your favorite platforms are. We're there. We're doing it uh jump on patreon patreon.com and you can type in all pro lines and you can become a contributor oh special thanks to andrea uh uh who came uh, big fan of all pro lines she came down from uh idaho with her husband to the taping and it was cool to see a face that i knew there and she was extra handy because uh she was a good segue to a couple of cowboys jokes for me <laughs> so that was nice <laughs> underdog fantasy jump in there and do some fun gaming stuff if you use the code all pro lines uh we will uh match your initial deposit up to 100 bucks cameo you want me to make fun of your dad for his birthday or whatever yeah go to cameo type in kostaki i'll do it i got things 
I got three great gigs coming this weekend. I'm excited about them. I'm going to the Pacific Northwest, baby. Talent, Oregon. Redding, California. Chico, California. Friday, Saturday, Sunday this week. Uh, also coming up, Clarksville, Tennessee. Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Then I'm going to Wisconsin. I'm doing Janesville, Oshkosh, Eau Claire. That's Jeff Cesario's part of the world. Fargo, Sioux Falls, Ashtabula, Erie. I'm out there. Come find me. Kostaki.com. Let's do a few jokes. The two-minute drill. Taylor Swift at Arrowhead Stadium. She's in her Travis Kelsey era. I can't wait to hear what a tool Travis is in Taylor's song next year. Alanis Morissette is to Dave Coulier as Taylor Swift is to Travis Kelsey. We'll see. I've dated some strong women, but none of them could write a global hit about what an asshole I am later. That's kind of scary. Pretty intimidating to invite a woman to a stadium for a big NFL game to see a play that she could sell out completely by herself. Probably twice, three times. Taylor understands football players. She also gets hurt a lot. If you listen to her songs, you might. The weird part was when Kanye burst into the box and introduced Beyonce to Kelsey's mom. I thought that was very inappropriate. The Dolphins scored 70 points. That's an entire season worth of points for the Jets. The Broncos defense ceded more ground than the French army. Dolphins scored like an NBA player at a Kardashian family picnic. <laughs> when uh, when Tua saw the score, he thought he had another concussion. You know, in South Florida, 70 is no big deal. It's still young, right? So like 70 is not really. 70 to 20 was the final score, which also sounds like the ages of a Hollywood couple. To Al Pacino, that's a perfectly reasonable. You could say the Broncos got Tony Randall, if you will. Uh, Usher's going to perform at the Super Bowl. He's from Atlanta, so at least he's supposed to quit after halftime. Uh, the NFL scouting sites for future games in Spain and Brazil. Someday they might even put a professional football team in Chicago. That would be nice. I don't know if you saw this. Steve stole $100,000 in equipment from the Bears Stadium this week, but they left the playbooks. You know, there's no, no cash value. Uh, $100,000 of equipment. That's a lot of equipment. Did we expect the security for the Bears to play good defense? No, we did not. They don't have any leads in the case, but Justin Fields is guilty of stealing the city's hope. Tropical storm, Ophelia. Ophelia, she's breaking my heart. Uh, tropical storm affected the game between the Patriots and the Jets. That's three things that blow. Am I right, everybody? All right. It was an area of low pressure, as opposed to New York's area of low expectations. Jets coach Robert Sala said Zach Wilson gives them the best chance to win. I'm like, oh, no, Sala's going blind. It's a shame he's so young and talented. Get that man a walking stick. He's not watching the games. Uh I was in the other room and I heard the commentator say the Jets have broken the plane. And it did not occur to me that they meant touchdown. Oh. <laughs> Gardner Minshew pulled an Orlovsky, stepped out of the back of the end zone, to which Falcons fans replied, a what zone? We've heard, I never, stupid Falcons. I kept seeing the uh, headline, uh, some version of Chubb is out. I'm like, wait, is this about Brett Favre? Is there a story we need to, I haven't, all right. There's plenty more jokes here, but that's enough. That's enough with the jokes. I got questions for my friend, my uh, my guest. Let's give him a proper intro here before we bring him out. Jeff Cesario, he's the voice of Chet Waterhouse on the Adam Carolla podcast. That's probably how you know him. Uh, he also has his own podcast called Play With Pain as Chet, and I've been a guest a couple times. It's great. It's Jeff's a, such a great writer. He is an Emmy award-winning writer for Dennis Miller Live the Larry Sanders show. He's done the tonight show with Johnny as a comic. He wrote for Billy Crystal on the Oscars. This guy, I saw him in 1987. I was a freshman at the university of Georgia and he was the first comic. I, I saw live in an intimate situation. I saw Kennison the year prior, but it was the first time I saw a, like a regular comic in a regular environment and he just stood there flat-footed, and he was riveting for an hour, and he became the face of my new dream. So anyway, here he is, 
you love him. I love him. Jeff Cesario, everybody. <laughs> hey, buddy. I, I, uh, I take umbrage only to flat-footed. Flat-footed. Uh, I mean that as a compliment. Like, no tricks, no juggling, no impressions. Yeah, yeah that's true. It's high just, energy. Uh, I made a promise to myself um, early in my life that, uh, in my comedy life, that I wanted my act to fit in the driver's seat of my car. <laughs> that, that was the whole goal. That's a really funny one. <laughs> no, and I... I'm sure that there were other reasons. It's part of the reason I was drawn to you, but it, I have often thought about you as I've developed as a comic over the years. And I always liked that it was driven by smart, good writing and it wasn't flashy. I, I, that's my favorite kind of comedy. It always has been. Yeah. Thanks. That's really um, all I could do. <laughs> I did some, I do, I did some character stuff. I still do here and there. But uh, as I've gotten along in my career, I've really gained a lot of joy out of just um, just honing things down to a few words at a time. You know, uh, you know, right. I just came up with a joke, which is actually a longer joke for me. But uh, uh, I say I am married and I am allergic to cats. And so we have four cats. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's a word economy. Story, that little story that you can kind of imagine in your head if you're sitting in the crowd. And then, I mean, I have more material about being married and whatnot, but I love being able to just kind of leave that. And right. sometimes I'll even say there really isn't much more to say about me than that. <laughs> you know, because that's kind of it. I, I like to get it down to a nub and hammer it in and move on. You know, that's great. That's great. <laughs> I see. I love that kind of I've, I've always loved that kind of style. Uh, you're at Acme this week, right? I'm at uh, Acme Comedy Club in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Friday and Saturday, uh, September 29th and 30th. I, I booked it great. specifically on a non-Badger weekend. Oh. So they have a bye this weekend. So that way, Saturday morning, Kostaki, I don't have to worry. <laughs> I don't get the agita. Nothing happens. I relax. I work on my act. I go to work. Yeah, you want to, You also want to book Acme the few days after the All Pro Lines podcast. You get that bounce from this. So that'll be exactly. Good. Get the huge <laughs> bounce from this. Don't have to worry about the Badgers. They're not playing this weekend can actually watch the gophers and enjoy that with a couple of friends. And by enjoy that, I mean, <laughs> needle them <laughs> hopefully from beginning to end of their game. <laughs> I talked to Tom Bernard this morning. Uh, he's a big radio guy in Minneapolis. Yeah. For those of you yeah. Listening. And uh, he was, Oof. The, the wife chimed in and goes, I can always tell when the Vikings aren't doing well because Tom like, rushes into the room in the middle of the game and goes, let's go do something. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. And for Tom, that's a huge step because uh, he's a bit of a recluse. I remember he, uh, you know, I've done his show since the early eighties when I started in Minneapolis right. and uh, you know, for, for many, many, many decades, he was, he was the deal oh, in Minneapolis. Man. He did his show. It was like doing three tonight shows. Right. It was, yeah. you know, audiences just came out. He had huge numbers in Minneapolis. And now he's 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 out of it. He's just doing his podcast and having a great time doing that. And yeah. that's killing. Uh, but a notorious recluse. So maybe two times through, maybe about 10 years ago, 12 <laughs> years ago, he asks me to his house for a big party. I'm there somewhere near the holidays. I can't remember. And he says, uh, Jeff, come on out of the house and uh, we're doing a doing a party. Uh, I'd love to have you there. So I go, Oh, great. I I'd love to come. So I come at the assigned time on the assigned date and uh, it's packed. He's got a beautiful home out on like his own little like Bernard Peninsula that they built right into Lake of the Isles or something. It's <laughs> so he's, he's, and I walk in and people are having a good time and everything. And I, and I walk in and I'm like, this is great. I get a drink, a little, hors d'oeuvre i'm looking for tom no tom and i see tom's <laughs> wife finally and i go where's tom she goes he's downstairs in the um in his cigar room <laughs> he 
So I go, okay, well, I, I'll go down and say hello. He invited me here. So I go down to the cigar room and I'm, I, I knock on the door and there's no answer. And, <laughs> and I can see there's like a little security peephole and I see he's in there. <laughs> so I, I, I pound on the door, nothing. So I go back upstairs. <laughs> he never came out. It's so appropriate for him because he didn't even show up for his own radio interviews most of the time. He wasn't there. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. People don't know, but, uh, you know, sometimes he would literally be in Florida and you would go in to do an interview in the Minneapolis yeah. downtown studio and you'd go into the room and he wasn't he wasn't in there. It was just his voice was in your headphones, but he wasn't there. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> fortunately, he has, if you haven't heard him, folks, which you probably have, even if you don't listen to his show or if you're in an area of the country where you just don't care, uh, he did um, just volumes of voiceover work right. for everybody. Dodge Chrysler was a huge right. client of his for voice. decades. And he has an extraordinarily reassuring voice and a deep voice, and just a great all-round voice. So even when you're sitting there, and there's a Zep running the controls behind three glass plates, and there's some new girl out there who's <laughs> manning donuts and not quite sure if she's going to get fired, and that's it. And then you sit down with phones, but that voice comes on, and you're like, oh, yeah, all right, we can just talk. Oh, yeah. I know this guy. Hey, All right. I got questions for you, Jeff. Are you, I know you're a big Badgers guy, but are you a Packers guy too? Huge Packers guy. And right, for this so reason, when I was growing up, don't tangent off me that fast because there's a story. <laughs> okay, please, please. <laughs> I'm growing up. I'm 10 years old. The freaking Braves move out of Milwaukee to Atlanta. Oh. I'm, I got nothing for baseball until, until eight years later or so when the pilots moved from Seattle to Milwaukee, those are your formative baseball years, like your teens, you know, that's when you really lock in. So for right. eight years, I had no baseball. I liked football more anyway. Of course, Lombardi is coaching the Packers. Ah. Uh, and he may as well have been from the heart of Africa, as far as Wisconsin was concerned. <laughs> this is the deepest they've been into a minority in the history of the state. And he's manning the NFL franchise. So people are on edge. <laughs> I didn't know. That. I mean, I, I've read some stuff recently that he was very much ahead of his time on some of these fronts. He had a gay brother and he, like gave a speech to his team and he, there was yeah. a known player who was gay, but not publicly. And he, yeah, he, and he had said, to if wrestle. I hear anybody giving him yeah. a hard time, you're fired. And he wrestled all of this to the ground uh, right. as an Italian, probably. Uh, and of course he didn't tell anyone cause he's Italian. So he just did it personally, internally and created tremendous angst inside himself, which is what made him a good football coach. Uh, so all of this weights on his shoulders. I live, I am from Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is an aberration in the state. It's just north of the state line from Chicago. So when the railroad was coming through, tons of Italian workers settled in Chicago, and then some moved up to Kenosha, my hometown. In the state of Wisconsin, 25% Italian. Unheard of. Oh, anywhere else yeah. it was the uh it was it was satan's corner of the state as far as as far as the lutheran scandinavians and the rest of the state were concerned don't go there the italians live there <laughs> so <laughs> so now it's you know 65 1965 you're growing up the packers win they start winning and they go on that insane run where they're yeah. winning NFL titles and then they win the first two Super Bowls. And so suddenly Italians are a little more accepted. So I am entrenched in the Packers because they gave me an anchor uh, through my uh, uh, youth <laughs> that did not exist in any other sport. There was no NHL, no NBA, nothing in Wisconsin. There was just the Packers and this then they won and then they had an Italian coach. So, I'm a Packer diehard forever. And All right. That's to, great. I love this story. 
to say I loved Aaron Rodgers for many, many years is the truth. To say the last three years have been like dating an actress is the truth. <laughs> to say I wish him only the best in his recovery, and I hope he does, and I hope the Jets have some tremendous seasons is also the truth. But to say there wasn't a little schadenfreude there, eh, uh-huh. uh, you know, yeah. I, I can't deny it. That's what I, I was going to ask. There was a part of me that smart, you know, you hate to see it. It was a horrible injury, but at some point, just because they're the jets, you go, <laughs> well, they don't write it any better. Not even in Chicago. This is perfect. <laughs> I kind of feel bad for the jets fan base. It was just such a oh, great absolutely. story. Hard Some of the greatest and- fans in the world. Yeah. yeah. Some of the greatest yep. fans in the world. Absolutely. I went to a Falcons at Jets game once in New, in New York, and they were great to us. Wow. And it was raining sideways, and that both teams were terrible, and that nobody cared about the. But everyone was great. They were into it, and they followed all the details, and they were nice to the visiting fans. And I, it was cool. It was a good experience. It's a I, fan base that deserves so much better than what they've gotten most of their existence. They've They're never been families. good since I've been watching. I mean, the only couple of good years were the Sanchez years. Yeah, Sanchez, uh, who was the kid? Chad Pennington had a couple of decent years. Yeah, he was fun to watch, but they weren't really... They no, but they were like, at least <laughs> at least in the playoff hunt. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's right. You know, with yeah, him, Pennington he, was fun. Yeah, and they weren't shooting themselves in the feet the hands and any other extremities that remain. <laughs> All right. I got questions about uh, some show business stuff. I'm here for it, baby. Will you, can you I, I'm hang on Kestaki? This portion of the broadcast oh, sponsored okay. by count your dressings, the salad dressing <laughs> superstore. You'll fall asleep counting your dressings and alimony. Pay your alimony with impressionist art at alimony. <laughs> I love these. Chet Waterhouse these, are the, these are the sponsors from Chet Waterhouse. I, yeah. I demanded that you bring some because they make yes. me giggle. The writing is I so good. I have many, many more. It hurts my feelings how good the writing is. It's great. It's great. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, when you can you? I, I'm I live in LA. I drive by. I honk. I cheer for the for the strikers. The whole thing. Can you distill? the strike explanation for the casual observer down to a handful of sentences. And are we, are we actually done? Are we there? We're, we, we, we finished it. We're good. I can try to distill it. And yes, it appears that the strike is over a couple of uh, uh, I's to dot and T's to cross. But other than that, it appears it's over. Unlike the strike just before this, which had a very nebulous, um, focus it was very foggy because uh the strike prior to this the writers guild was trying to get um some residuals for platforms that barely existed that and that no one knew how they were going to pan out work function or pay and so that was frustrating uh this was literally about better pay uh, a more even playing field uh, for working conditions and the influx of artificial intelligence and being able to corral that until in five years we see its limitations and its excesses, what it can and cannot do. Um, and they have succeeded on all three of those fronts. And I think all three of those fronts, quite frankly, are going to face the American working public for the next several years. And uh, the Writers Guild may have been the first union to tackle it, but you're already seeing it with UAW. You're already seeing, you're going to see it with other unions. Uh, You're going to see people go, Hey, wait a second. We're just trying to get to a place where we have good wages, where we have a pension, where we have the ability possibly, you know, when people say, um, you know, uh, I, I liked it back when, you know, back in the day or, you know, back when America oh, right. was great or whatever you want to say, that's cool. But really what you're talking about, I believe, is a time in America uh, on the on the most positive look at it, a time in America where a family could get by on one income. 
So one of the spouses could stay home for the most part, maybe work right. a part-time job, but could say, so a one income family, you're talking about when taxes on the super wealthy were more fair. You're talking about the seventies when those things were in place, when unions were strong, you could get a pension, you could get a quality salary, you could get time off, you could get decent health care. All of that came with the job. And then, you know, let alone you have uh, more coming in from a tax standpoint. So more things could be paid for on a fair basis with whatever the government decided to spend it on. If they decided to spend it, conservative or liberal, doesn't matter. It meant there was more in the coffers because yep. the rich were paying a little, the super rich were paying a little more of their share. So that's what is being uh, sought after now by uh, the working class across this country. It's really a fight for existence, I think. Yeah, I, I love it. And it's, it, you know, because I, in visiting Greece, my whole life, we've gone about every couple of years, we would literally go to the islands and then stop in Athens on the way home as opposed to doing it the other way around because sometimes there's a strike and you can't get home on the ferry and you miss the flight. Right. Like the strikes and union conversations and wages and all these things are very much a part of the ongoing churning conversation of what it is to be a Greek. And in the States, you really don't hear much about unions, certainly not in comparative basis to the way that they discuss them. And it's a mainstay of the conversation in Europe. So yeah. it's been kind of cool to hear it and see it. And, you know, the last few months have been, uh, I, I'm a fan. I think it's a good conversation to have culturally and more specifically about, yes, of course you should be paid to write a thing that becomes a giant hit. I mean, to have these yeah. stories where writers on hit shows are not being able to, they can't pay their bills. That's crazy. Yeah. And uh, really another key thing that I think is missing often in the conversation towards the layman, towards the general public, is the reason a writer should get paid when a show goes into syndication or when a movie that's 10 years old is still making money is because it's making money and a lot of it for whoever owns the rights to that piece of work. It's making a crap load of money and they right. still outside of owning it, didn't do anything to create it. So to, to, to cut a little bit out of that share for the people who created it is what these residuals are all about, you know? Right. And of course, and, and the, what, again, what the casual listener might not know is that the ride for the creators is very bumpy. You're in work, you're out of work, you don't have a job, you have yeah. a job. And what you're doing is you're, you're on this crazy ride so that occasionally a show is a giant success and that's a, a windfall. And that's what keeps you alive for all the other crazy valleys. It's literally the, the career yeah. of a running back in the NFL. If you're lucky, you got a seven-year stint on King of Queens or, or you, know, you get a six-year stint on uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm or whatever it is. That's right. going to be the, the crown jewel probably of your career. There's a good chance you could build off of that, but there's a greater chance you will become a functioning working writer after that scrambling for gigs. Right. So you got to nail it in that 10 year window and, right. and hope you get something that will continue to create some passive payment for you. And then of course the other thing is, and it always boggles my mind, I mean, really what people are after is health care and a decent pension when they retire. And right. uh, believe me, there is a lot of elements to all, all of these, the way governments are structured in Europe and everything. I get it. I'm not saying we switched any of that. But I am saying if that's covered, whether it's by the government, whether it's by a union, it takes it off the plate of the company. And, and then they don't have to deal with that. They just got to throw a few shekels into a can and then somebody comes by, whether it's the government or a union and says, all right, we got that. We got the dough in the can. We're going to go take care of the health care and the pension. Yeah. <clears throat> and you look at England, unions are not strong there anymore because they have nationalized health care and a nationalized pension. So a lot of that, that, that ingrained concern of humans for their life, health care and pension, what do I do when I retire? is covered at least on a base level. And so there isn't that big a need for unions anymore. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's so right. here it's always like uh, whoever is anti-union for whatever reason, 
Okay, cool. Make up the health care and the pension somewhere else and it won't matter. Yeah. So that's it's know. true that because we grew up in America, our we associate jobs with health care. But that is a strange association that's not required. That's just the way that we've landed on it accidentally backwards through the right. right. And, and if that's the great American way, so be it. But then don't piss on unions. Just go, okay, we got to get them under control. Believe me. I know there's unions that anytime there's humans in a room for more than 10 minutes, shit's going to go down. That's bad. That whether it's corporations <laughs> or unions right. or political movements on either side of the spectrum, because yeah, yeah. then power comes into play and abuse comes into play and money comes into play and right. all of that. So Ego. I know there's, there's unions and yep. union organizations that have not done well for themselves, but let's go police that. Let's make that better. Yeah, then we got them. I agree. I have, I have a question. When I was looking at some of the, when I was putting together the intro for you, I was like, oh, I have all these questions for Jeff. When you, when you wrote for, uh, see, so Billy Crystal's hosting the Oscars. Yeah. Walk me through. What's your role in that? Because that seems like one of the sexiest versions of a joke writing gig in the history of the universe. How was that? You know, it was the last time he hosted. And okay. I had an opportunity at, at that point in time, I was already an incredibly seasoned veteran. This is only whatever, eight years ago or whenever it was that, that he last hosted. And uh, through some contacts, I found out they were interested and I said, I'd love to do it. And so I did it and we had meetings via Zoom with the New York wing of the writing staff, um, Stangle Brothers and others and then the uh the west wing and myself we were all in the room with billy and it was great it was just a conference room at his management and he just rolled up his sleeves and everybody sat around and pounded premises and came in with jokes and started firing jokes off we're gonna need this we're gonna need that and billy was just incredibly calm at the helm and just knew what he needed in his brain and i've worked for a ton of people that way from Dennis Miller to Gary Shandling to so many others to Queen Latifah, we were, I always had a nice muscle where I knew I could kind of tell if someone was mulling and pondering as the performer. And he just go, yeah, yeah. okay, I, I'm going to be quiet now. Cause they're, I could, their eyes kind of drifting You go, okay, they're thinking they're not only thinking is the joke good. They're thinking, what's the order? Where would I put it? Can I expand it? Should I contract it? And you just shut up and let them do it. And he was a master at that. And he put his set together and it was pretty amazing. It was uh, pretty so cool. fun to work with. And I worked with a lot of great writers here in LA on that. And it was just fun to be in that kind of room to be able to add that to the, to the resume was a, a real treat. That's uh, because, and he must love having somebody like you who has real chops as a writer and a comic and understands the beats and the process and the angst and the worry and the, word economy all the weird sort of mishy mashy things that it is to be a comic like you can communicate with him in a very uh, uh, yeah we're all in this together kind of level right yeah and fortunately uh he was he always put together an insane room everybody was like that uh whether they were oh, comedian cool. performers or whether they were writers who had worked with performer comedians for a very long time the entire room was people who had a minimum of 20 years experience at that right that's great. uh and then i uh apologize i can't remember the uh the piano player's name right now but he, his right hand guy musically uh wasn't there but would would gather all the info and then billy and he would go away and say okay this will be the mock tune that will do because he okay. always does at least one mock tune and they're brilliant <laughs> you know the lyrics are killer and then the music's great and then uh um Mark shaman is that is and then they go away and they orchestrate it and it's just this brilliant number created in you know a month yeah and, i didn't realize uh, that was sort of in-house that's billy's universe too okay that's, that's his cool. universe too he you know you go back to his early tonight shows billy and he would do uh, Howard Cosell and Muhammad Ali in this, you know, he would do Howard Cosell interviewing Muhammad Ali. That was a stand-up on the tonight show. And it was crushing. You'd go, Oh man, this dude's a great impressionist. Then he would leave that and do like seven killer monologue jokes. And you would go, Oh, he's a monologist too. Then he right. would do little vignettes and you would go, Oh, he can do characters. 
he had it all and it was all apparent in his early stand-up i'll never forget uh, one of my favorite billy crystal stand-up jokes was uh I love going to small claims court because it's the only place you'll hear things like this. Okay, next on the docket, American Airlines versus Juan Manuel. American <laughs> Airlines versus Juan Manuel. <laughs> Whatever it was. It was so great. He just had a great mind. That's a great mind. I, you've worked with so many big shots in this unit. Can you... Because I was, I was thinking. Hey, about incidentally, this. that anecdote sponsored by, <laughs> that's sponsored by Airbnb. It's not an app. It's just a crowbar. And Winkedin, the job site for creeps. That's Winkedin. <laughs> and of course, OCDC, the most meticulous ACDC cover band ever. That's OCDC. <laughs> ah, it's good writing. So here's here's my question: Do, When you work with the can you tell there's something special like what this, the Uber big shots? Can you feel it in their bones when you hang out with them? That this, oh, this there's something special with this person. Like I remember playing cards with Louis CK and there's a whole bunch of comics around, but he just like, there's something about him that was so interesting and compelling and the way his mind worked, he felt special in, in a pile of good comics. He yeah, stood out from is- the pile, you know? There's usually an extra gear. There's an Earl Campbell gear that other performers don't have, that there is a burst of speed, a sideways move, power right over you, or all three moves together that others may not possess. And it's probably the most natural part of the gift. Uh, usually great performers are have a gift, have an affinity at the very least yeah. uh, to do it and then hone it through practice and craft and stage time. Uh, but yeah, you can kind of tell when somebody's just got it. And you can also tell just by l- looking at people's reaction to that person. I right. remember seeing Louie Anderson when I first started in Minneapolis, I started with, uh, the late great Louis Anderson and several other tremendous comics up there, Bill Bauer and Alex Cole and Joel Madison, and Liz Winstead and Joel Hodgson. And we had, just oh, had yeah. a tremendous first class out of Minneapolis. And, uh, but Louis was at the head of that class and I'll just never forget. He would go up on stage. You know, I'm, I'm even back then I'm back there, you know, with like a, you know, a, a Cooper's hammer and I'm tinkering on little jokes and trying to get them perfect. And Louie would just go and go, Hey, how's it going? And wink or do a weird face and get a huge response. And <laughs> at first I'm like, what the hell is that? You know? And then I would just see the visceral connection yeah. between a crowd and a performer. And in this case it was Louie and you can feel it. There's just yeah, right. something there. Where where they are playing a part of the instrument I didn't even know existed, a facial yeah. move, an emotional reaction that they express bodily somehow, whatever it is, they're connecting on a visceral level. And most great performers have that ability. They connect on a visceral level, an unspoken level to the crowd that just goes, ooh, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm watching this guy. Yeah, that's the part that makes me most jealous because that's the part that's so elusive sometimes, you know? It's like it seems almost innate. It's built in. Obviously, they've earned it, but it's also it's baked into all the experience and the process and the the personality and the gravitas. It's it's in there sometimes. Yeah, you know? it's in the DNA. And yeah. it, I don't know if it's a muscle that can even be worked on or exercised. If it is, I know where it is. It's out in front of the performer. It's out here. It's it's in the improv of it all. It's like a musician who will tell you when they're improv. You can hear the difference between Eddie Van Halen and a really good guitar player. Is a good guitar player maybe going through and and connecting to a set of licks that he wants to get to? Ooh, I practiced this. I got to get to this. Eddie Van Halen is not thinking about any of that. He's just playing. His brain is two seconds ahead of what his hands are doing. 
He's not thinking about licks. He's not thinking about practice. He's thinking about an emotion. He's thinking about something else. And it's just coming out of his hands. That's true with great comedians, too. The priors of the world. They're out there, the Chappelle's. And th- those are the guys who can write on stage. Yeah, the Chris right. The Rocks of the world. The, the, the Kathleen Madigan's. The great, you know, Whitney coming. Yeah. They're, they're out there. They're like, even if it's just a part or a portion of their set, they're like, okay, I'm going to go skate on the thin ice now. I'm going to go see yeah. what's out there. And I'm just going to let the brain connect. And in those moments, any performer is probably the most unique that performer can be yeah, when you're yeah. out there doing that. Yeah. It's and fun that, watching so that's that. where maybe the, that's where I'm trying to look for it. Even at this incredibly late age is, uh, <laughs> is, you know, cause that's where the fun is. You go, Oh, okay. Who am I really? You know, what are they connecting yeah. to here? It's fun. Bill Burr and Lewis Black are two of the masters of that. We're just, they kind yes. of have the idea and they go out there and, like you say, they're just skating on the ice and let's see what happens. <clears throat> yes. And then it starts that. to pull together and then they're smart enough to tape it, remember it and cobble it into a chunk. Right. Right. But all right, it's let's... all out there. It's all that sizzle. All right. Let's do this. Joe. The two minute drill. What? The wrong next. All right, this is where we give kudos and taps on the back, Jeff. I, I usually go first. I, I get okay, but hang on. It's sponsored by Instagram <laughs> Crackers. Photos of graham crackers right at your fingertips. And puffy combs. The pocket comb with the nice chubby handle. Go ahead, Kostaki. <laughs> I'd like to give my kudos to uh, C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud threw for 280 yards, two touchdowns. More importantly... No interceptions for his third straight game. He's played three games in the NFL. He's the only quarterback in NFL history to have 900 passing yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions in his first three career starts. It's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, right? good for him, man. That's and 37 impressive. points against a, what we think is a pretty good Jaguars team. Maybe yeah. we're wrong, but they seem like they're going to be good. I don't know. Hey, wrong or not, they're still coming after your ass when you're in no the pocket. kidding. And so, you're new at this. That's yeah. amazing. So yeah, I, that's I, really I, he's one that I, I really liked in the pre-draft process that I was kind of rooting for. I thought he might have gone number one overall, and he was so good against Georgia and that game on New Year's and the big, biggest, brightest lights of his yeah. career. I'm like, so I'm rooting for him. He's a, he's a good story. I Especially think. Uh, considering that uh, – the media kind of put him in second position to Bryce young and Bryce is, is speaking of being able to tell the magic Bryce has it, whatever it is, personality wise. And there were, you know, CJ's a little more introspective. So it's nice right. to see him, him have a good one. Uh, my first kudos goes to uh, Dion, Dion Sanders. Oh, yeah. I love the response to getting his ass kicked. He just said, <laughs> we got whooped. We got whooped. And and if you watch his press conferences, I think there have been a couple of missteps. I don't think he handled clearing out that locker room as well as he could have. Certainly to the kids and parents who were there at Colorado and got, got shown the door. And I don't necessarily think after that first win, I thought he got onto some thin ice there with I'm taking receipts and kicking ass later and all that kind of stuff. But outside of those two, yeah, that's Dion. And outside of those two, it's clear to me, this guy got into coaching because he wants to coach. He wants to lead young men. He thinks this is his calling. Why else would he do it? He could be a superstar using any other platform. He could become a household name. He picked college coaching. (laughs) So you know he's got a passion for it and a love for it. These kids will run through a wall for him. They play great. They play well. None of them have an excuse after the game. And they all got each other's backs. What more could you ask for if your kid was playing for a coach? Nothing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I I thought what he said was kind of cool, too. He said, 
you better get me now. We're never going to be this bad again. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, right. Wow. And you know, here's a weird thing. I always go to the, the, uh, um, the badger barometer, I call it. Uh, I can, I, you know, it's like six degrees of separate. I can always bring something back if I can relate to it as a badger, then I can understand it. And I relate to the first uh, press conference Barry Alvarez had when he took over the program. And this is back 1990 and they were horrible for 30 years. And he said flat out, you better get season tickets now because in four years you will not be able to. And everybody laughed at him. And this is back before NIL, before the transfer portal, when four years was the absolute bare minimum you could use to turn around a program. And he did it in four years. He backed up his words and I thought, oh, that's cool. Dion's kind of the the complete remake of of that mindset. Yeah, he's made a big splash. The recruiting yeah. is going to be there going forward. Yes. Yeah. The only thing, I mean, he might leave and go somewhere bigger or better, but if he's there, that team's going to just get better and better. That yeah, program's going to yeah, swoon. Too, too bad Boulder's such a crappy campus, huh? <laughs> <laughs> he, he's a recruiting whiz at the most beautiful campus in the world. Oh man. The electricity at the game the week before with Colorado state, everyone's oh. in black and jumping. Oh man. It was yeah. cool to see. Was, hey, those kudos guys sponsored by Spornhub, the online sports book that lets you pay your debts with homemade porn videos, <laughs> Spornhub and Glitzkrieg full makeup in three minutes or it's free. <laughs> nobody this is the weirdest niche of writing in the history I know, it really is <laughs> i've i've sat and tried to write some of these to send you and they're impossible you're so good at it <laughs> all right let's do the compliments sponsored by hexagram the six-sided telegram have your message stick out hexagram yeah. <laughs> that's uh that's math and greek comedy that's, yeah it is I it's love, weird it's yeah, yeah. My, my my mom would love that joke my mom's <laughs> probably watching this there you go there mom. you go <laughs> all right here we got another time segment for which comes first oh yes it's time for which comes first now tell me will this happen before that happens it's time for which comes first all right jeff which comes first, Aaron Rodgers' snap in the NFL or Packers' playoff appearance? Packers' playoff appearance. You think they're going this year? I think the uh, uh, NFC North is is uh, weird. I think Minnesota and Chicago are clearly struggling. I think Detroit. <laughs> oh, and six collectively. <laughs> yeah, I think Detroit eventually will have some Detroit moments. Although I'm very happy for them, and I'm glad they put together a team I got buddies from Detroit and it's so great to see, but I think it will be a dogfight between their schedule and whatever the hell is happening in green Bay. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a neat moment in green Bay. And if they, if they can just get to nine and eight, it, you know, they could sneak into the playoffs and, and, and get a playoff victory. Yeah. You feel good about Jordan love. I mean, you guys are, you're so spoiled from a quarterback yeah. point of view, the last, what is it? 30 years. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's insane. And then you look at Chicago and they've been through 47 quarterbacks during the same oh, period. Every fan base, mm-hmm. almost every fan base would immediately trade quarterback. Literally stories. Rex Grossman is right now at the top of the bears quarterback list uh, for the that's, last. Is that years. true? I guess that's true. I, Super who Bowl? else are you going to put there? So, Cutler? you know, Maybe McMahon the, Cutler, the, the good, the good Cutler was he, better than Grossman. Well, there you go. The <laughs> fact that you're talking about a, a complete manic depressive should tell you something. <laughs> so I think the Packers playoff victory will, will come before Aaron takes a snap. All right. Cause I don't well, think he'll take the snap till next season. And I think the Packers could sneak into the playoffs this year. Okay, we got one last sort of uh, regular segment. Do we have any sponsors for this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, that uh, that previous segment, uh, which comes first, sponsored by Luftwaffle. Dive bomb <laughs> breakfast with Luftwaffle. This coming segment, sponsored by Abracadaver, the world's best dead magician. Or is he? <laughs> all right, all right, kids. Put your thinking caps on. It's quiz time. 
we don't expect you to know these things. This, these are just jumping off points for conversation. The, the, the Dolphins was the big story this week. So yeah. there's some weird facts here that I thought were interesting. 70 points tied for third most in NFL history. Most in the league since what year? Do you know this? No, most points by I one th- team, not total in the game, but by one oh, team. Geez. Uh, I'm going to say uh, probably, I think it was Washington, somewhere in the 60s. That's correct. Washington. Sonny Jurgensen. 77 points, I think. In 1966, hey, I was defeated right. the New York Giants 72 to 41. 72. There you go. Listen to this stat line. Jurgensen only had 145 yards. <laughs> like, what? I know. <laughs> it's like some crazy. Derek and they Henry say there's no son. future for G- Jordan Love. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> How did you have 72 points and only 145 yards? That's some sloppy turnovers, a lot of running. Yeah, that's a lot of defense scoring there. That's a lot of pick sixes. All right, here's a weird one. Uh, the 70, 726 total yards the Dolphins had, second most in a game in NFL history. That goes back to 1951 when the Los Angeles Rams beat who, Jeff Cesario? <laughs> uh, I will say the uh, – was it the St. Louis Browns? I'll take a shot at that. The New York Yankees. There you go. What? <laughs> I didn't I know. know there was a Yankees football yeah, this team. Is, this is back when Decatur had an NFL team. Right, right. This is this is the Steagles era. Right. This is going, yeah, the whole nother universe. Wow. That's I deep. Didn't, I didn't know there was a Yankees. That's crazy. Now, so hey, that, uh, that little tidbit. Sponsored <laughs> by Spineapple Juice. Drink away bad posture with Spineapple Juice. Go ahead. It's great. Where do we find you, Jeff? Where, where do I will I, be at the this Acme, week Acme this week uh, this week at Acme uh, Friday and Saturday, September 29th and thirtieth. All you Minneapolis people, come on out. We have got uh, four shows: two Friday, two Saturday. So come out and do that. Uh, I'm not sure beyond that because I'm hunting and pecking. I'm just uh, picking up uh, uh, gigs here where I can, staying in town, especially now that the strike's over, and pitching a couple of things and. Um, but I'll keep everybody posted via social media. Cool. And then I'll just call you and you can put it out regardless of who your guest is. Their plugs can be my club dates. <laughs> you you come on and do some sponsors. You can plug whatever you want. <laughs> there you go. Hey, speaking of Jeff's appearance today, sponsored by Bloomingdale Earnhardt's. High fashion for the Southern Bell in your pit crew. And of course... <laughs> Alpaca lies the throw rug made from pure alpaca. We think <laughs> awesome. Thanks for doing this, buddy. You're uh, you've, you've genuinely been one of my heroes, and it's great to oh, that's kinda, so sweet of you to say. Um, uh, to hang with you in some sort of a peer ish situation, it means a lot. Absolutely, anytime <laughs> we'll do it again. We should right. simulcast something. Let's do it, absolutely. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, We'll see you next week. Next week, just a quick programming note. We're a little bit later than we normally do because of some travel that I'm doing. I'm coming back from the Pacific Northwest. I won't be back here until Monday night. So we'll do the live part uh, on Facebook Live at 9.30 p.m. Eastern during the Monday night game next week. But most of you are listening anyway, and you can listen wherever and whenever you want uh, as a regular podcast. Thanks a bunch, guys. We'll talk to you soon. 